Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. Notice our, on the overhead this morning, the title of our lesson, A Portrait of Humility. And what do you see beside that? It's not a door. I thought it was for, you know, being a construction. I thought it was a niche in a wall, but it's not. It's a what? Picture frame. But what's, what's wrong with that picture frame? No picture. Now, again, we're going to find out that Jesus literally emptied himself. So when we're being humble, is our focus on ourselves? No. So that's, that's certainly, I think, the whole, I thought it was a pretty, pretty nice thing. But uh, who said door frame? I, I kind of thought the same thing, you know, but it's a, it's a picture there with nothing in it. Uh, our family theme this morning is the example of Christ. And aren't you glad we have him as an example this morning? He is a prime example for our life. Our objective is that we would follow his example of humility. We would put others first and we'd also live out God's word. We'll be in chapter 2 of Philippians, the first 18 verses. We've got two key truths this morning. Number one, that as Christians, we ought to think and act humbly and follow the supreme example of Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, who is a better example than Jesus? There is none. All right? He's the best example. Our second key truth is that believers, you and I, would live out what God is working in our lives. And those things are important in our lives. Under our Bible basics, things we should know. What is the incarnation? Anybody have any idea? Now, you can't all speak at one time. What's the incarnation? Say it again. Okay. God became flesh. Now, for the life of me, I never understood this. I, I you know, We don't normally buy, in fact, we... If we ever have, I don't remember, we make our own chili, but you can buy it in a can. And sometimes it's called chili incarnate. Anybody ever seen that? And it means chili with meat. In my opinion, if you don't have meat, it's not chili. <laughs> All right? But so that word incarnate becomes, becomes flesh. God became flesh. Now I got to tell you, I don't know how long it's been when I first began to wrap my mind around that truth. But I've never gotten over that. That the God of the universe would become flesh and live among us. And John said we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God became flesh. Amen. So what is this lesson today fit in the overall story of the Bible, where we've been the last few weeks, even in a little bit of last quarter, in the prison epistles. So Paul wrote these about the same time period while he's in prison at Rome, uh, probably around A.D. 62. And today in our particular lesson, now remember this is one long letter, Paul, not, well I shouldn't say long, but uh, one continuous letter, didn't have chapters in it, but we break it by chapter, and I'm glad we do, help to study that. But Paul wrote this letter, to the church at Philippi. And here in our section this morning, he is encouraging believers then and now to humble ourselves, uh, to serve God and other people the same way that Christ served 
other people. Well, we're going to look a little bit today at humility. So when I get started, my question is, uh, how would you define humility? Give me a definition. How would you define humility? I have a pastor friend of mine in Columbus at Heritage Church, Brother Tim Stout. He's about 19 feet tall. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but he's tall. And he told me, he told us one time we were at a board meeting, and he said, you know, he said, I'm so humble, I'm going to write a book on humility. Now, he was kidding, of course, all right? He was, he was kidding, because if you know Tim Stout, he's a very humble person. So what's humility? How would you define it? Now, Dan, you said that pretty, pretty, like it was easy to say. It's easy to say, but what's the problem with it? It's not easy to do, is it, Okay. It is not easy to, you know, I don't care where you are in line as long as I'm number one. And that, normally that's our attitude, isn't it? And, and so, and, and, but the truth of it is, Christ says we need to have the attitude that he had, putting others before our own needs. So my question is, why is it difficult for us to practice that? What? Say it again. That's right. We, we got that desire. Somebody else. Yeah, we're human. Exactly. It's part of our nature. But yet, God gives us the power to overcome that part of our nature. Now, last week in chapter 1, uh, as we considered that particular passage, uh, Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, he reminded them that he considered it an honor to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he was in prison, not the best of circumstances. And, and by the way, he wasn't glad to be there, but he realized he was there by the providence of God and he would make the best of that situation. So Paul says, I consider that an honor. Now in chapter 2, he begins to invite uh, those at Philippi and us today uh, to share uh, in his sufferings and to live lives like Jesus lived, lives of true humility. And by the way, Jesus Christ, is our supreme model for that. Now let's pick it up in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. We're going to find out, number 1, believers should think and act humbly following the supreme example of Jesus Christ. Let's read the first 11 verses. Thank you. 
Right, thank you, Dan. Now, kind of interesting, uh, our English versions uh, begin with the word if, and I checked several other versions as well, not other languages, but different Bible versions. I usually study from the King James. and uh, But nonetheless, almost every, well, every version I checked began with the word if. Now, the problem with that is, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be careful here because we misunderstand uh, when we go from the Greek to the English, normally when we see the word "if," what do we think? What are we thinking? What's it mean? The word "if." Do what now? Say it one more time. Okay, maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Well, that's not that's not the Greek meaning here necessarily. Now, Paul is going to give a list of things here. Uh, he's going to talk about comfort that we have uh, in Christ. And so the issue was not they didn't have any of it. Paul said, he's really saying, since these things are true in your life, because of your relationship with Christ, these things are true in your life. So a better word here would be since uh, these things are true. Now it's interesting, Paul lists in our text this morning uh, some qualities here, uh, and each one... Paul said, will help you to live your life the way that God desires to you for you to live as you walk daily with the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Now, it's also interesting. He talks about uh, their consolation, and that means their comfort uh, they, they had in Christ. Now, let me, let me again uh, kind of go back to our first thought on the word if. Now, if, if when people are in Christ, when you're born again, does Christ bring comfort to your life? Yes. And so again, there's no doubt they didn't have, that they had this. That was not the question here. Paul is saying, since these things are true in your life, because the bottom line is the comfort Paul is talking about can only be found through a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that way it is shared with other believers within the church. Then Paul also talks about the love we have because we know Jesus Christ. And folks, everything that Paul talks about here is because of our direct relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who brings these things into our life. But make no mistake about it, I think it's important to understand Christ gives them to us, but we're to continue to help them grow in our lives as we spend more time in His Word, uh, more time in prayer, and a desire to be more and more like the, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know they knew the blessing of the love of Christ. And by the way, knowing that Christ loves us, should that help us love each other? Yes. How much did Christ love us? Amen. And we need to have that same kind of love one for another. Then Paul also talks about, uh, thirdly, uh, the fellowship that the Spirit gives to the believer. Now, it's just interesting because uh, we live in a world, this might shock you, there's very little unity. But Paul reminds us that we can have this participation, if you will, uh, 
of unity within the body of Christ. That's what Jesus wants to do for us as we walk again every day with him. Now, it's also kind of interesting, and I'll make sure I point this out because it, it, it always kind of tickles Jeremy. Uh, the King James uses the word bowels, okay? That's an old English word, and it simply means a deep, deep inner emotions. That's what he's talking about here. So Paul talks about the affection and compassion that ought to mark our lives uh, as we have a relationship with other members in the family of God. Now, let me ask you a rhetorical question. Did God show affection to you? Yes, deep affection. Did God show mercy to us? Yes. And so Paul is saying the same thing God has done for us through Christ, we ought to be doing with that relationship with others in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, okay, I know that these are in your life because you belong to Christ. There's no doubt about it. Paul wasn't questioning their salvation or if they didn't have any. That's not the issue. He knew they were part of their life. And so Paul said, because these are uh, characteristics of your life, Paul said, what I want you to do, I want you to make my joy complete. Fill up my joy. Now, he's listed these things. And so what he's basically going to do, he's going to give a corresponding qualities of what ought to be apparent in their lives as they live out those things that God has provided for them through their walk with the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So Paul says, first of all, I want you to have the same mindset with each other. I want you to uh, have the same unconditional love for one another within the family of God. And I want you to be united, if you will, in the same purpose. Now, by the way, we read and we talk about fellowship uh, a lot of times. And that's what fellowship really is. Being united in the same purpose. So, now, if we are truly seeking to have unity... In the body of Christ. What are we willing to sacrifice? Or should we be willing to sacrifice? Say it again. Everything. Now, the problem is we all have our own desires, our wants. And we don't all think alike. We have different ideas on how to do things, whatever it gets. But the bottom line is this. We must be willing, if you will, to sacrifice our personal preferences for the unity of the body. Now, by the way, never sacrifice the truth of God's Word. That's not what Paul's talking about here. But our personal preferences. How many have personal preferences? Anybody? Huh? Now, you know I don't like peace. So don't give me peace, all right? That's my personal preference. Now, Pam does. She's weird. Huh. Uh, but I still love her, okay? So, she don't make me eat peas? And I don't make fun of for not eating them. So, you know, but I know that's kind of a silly illustration. But the truth is, you know, we have preference even in the body of Christ of how things ought to be done. We're willing to give those preferences up for the sake of uh, the body of Christ. Paul talks about vain glory. That's empty glory. And, and by the way, uh, <laughs> we have to be careful about that because our, our natural, our, our, our nature says, take care of ourselves. You know, uh, 
that we're kind of conceded to a degree somehow or another. But the bottom line is, uh, Paul talks about this vain glory, this empty glory. And Paul realizes when that going on in our lives, when we have that pride, kind of what it is, uh, it, it's sort of a self-ambition, and it causes problems within the church. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. In the family of God, there is no room for inflated egos. Now, think about that. Nowhere at all. So, unity, and Paul realizes that, and he expresses it, is vital, if you will, in the community of faith. But we can only have real unity whenever genuine humility is being worked out in all of our lives. So Paul says, look, if for no other reason, Paul says, make sure you live humble lives that we might be the building up and of maintaining unity within the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 4, Paul talks about expressing that humility. And he says, rather than focus on our own desires, we should do what? Focus on what? Other desires, yes. Look at other people, okay? Especially uh, those that are part of the family of God. And, and uh, again, whenever we become too preoccupied with ourselves, and you can write this down, folks, it will always lead to sin. It will always lead to simple actions. Now remember, one of the reasons, or the main reason, that Christ established the church was to make disciples and to transfer the faith. Make disciples and transfer the faith. And if the church is going to fulfill that mission, without a doubt, there has to be unity and there has to be humility within the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, when I'm thinking of humility, he reminds it's an attitude that we have that considers the other people in the body of Christ Consider them as worthy of our service, worthy of our focus, and again, looking to their needs more than focusing on our own needs. Now, again, let me remind you, we're talking about in the body of Christ here. And I don't think God is talking about silly things that don't matter. I think God is talking about important things, and it... I think both sides, those who are showing humility, we ought to all show humility. And none of us are saying, you know what, I need to have it done this way or else. But we see that happen too often within the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to have that attitude that, Lord, it's a privilege to be able to serve others in the body of Christ. Because I don't care who you are, if you're a child of God... You're worthy of service, of, of being served. And that's what we need to do in the family of God. Now, so we, we've already mentioned, we've established the fact we need to be humble. Uh, we know it's hard to do. It's not our natural tendency. Paul understood that. 
Uh, he understood we all struggle uh, with that issue. So now Paul is going to move from us, uh, how we ought to behave or what we should do and telling how what to do. He says, let me give you an example. And so he begins, if you will, to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I'll remind you, you won't find any greater example of humility than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop here for a minute and make sure we get some parameters settled here. <clears throat> Who is Jesus Christ? Say it again. God. Who's more God, God or Jesus Christ? Oh, the Holy Spirit. They're co-equal. So Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, you don't find out until later on in John chapter 1, about verse 17, where John said the Word became flesh. Well, we know that had to be Jesus Christ, okay? He became flesh. So make no mistake about it, Jesus is God. So what Paul is going to give us here is really a sort of a... A condensed and a very, in a condensed form, a very detailed summary of not only his, the humanity of Christ, but also his divinity. Now, a lot of Bible scholars believe that uh, these verses may have been a hymn they sang in the early church. Now, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I don't know what evidence they have, but it's certainly a very, uh, very, very possible thing there. Now, keep in mind, Paul says, I want you to have the same mind that Jesus had. I wonder why Paul would say that. Why would Paul say that? Yeah. And which is the best example? God's example. So Paul says, I want this mind to be in you that was in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, also understand, well, let me ask a question. Will that attitude change the way we treat each other? Sure it will. It will make a difference in our lives. And so what Paul is talking about, this attitude here, it ought to be evident in our relationships and how we interact within the family of God. So in verses 6 through 8, Paul uh, begins to describe that. In verse 6 and 7, uh, he used the word form uh, to speak about Jesus Christ. Very important word, uh, because what it does, that word form stresses, if you will, the nature of someone, the very essence of someone, or the very reality of someone. So in verse 6, uh, Paul was sort of bringing home the fact that the very essence and the nature of Christ was God. He is God. That's his very nature. All right. A little basic uh, gospel here, okay? A, a Bible, New Testament. Was Jesus God first or man first? God, thank you. All right. Uh, how long was he God? Thank you, forever. Now, we know that according to Scripture, he became man, took on flesh 2,000 years ago. So, basic math tells me 
that Christ was God long before he became man. God long before he became man. So, by his very nature, Jesus is God. Paul said that he didn't consider being equal to God as something, uh, as robbery. That means something to hold on to. Now, uh, trying to give an illustration here. And uh, it literally means something to grasp. Normally, our nature says, if it's ours, we want to do what with it? Keep it. How bad, Wayne? We want to hold on to it. Yeah, depending on what it is, right, exactly. But especially something like Jesus had. So the idea here is, and certainly he was God. But Paul said he was willing to lay that aside. Now, I'll explain more about that, but he's not talking about laying aside his divinity. And, you know, when we think about God, it's hard to illustrate it because he's such higher than our, our even our mindset. Uh, some years ago, I took my dad to one of his doctors, and, uh, of course, my dad can talk. And uh, he got to talk to this lady, and she, this doctor, and nice, nice doctor, very friendly, and she was going to sell her house. And, uh, you know, said that her husband getting ready to retire and they had a two-story house. And, of course, my dad, the thinker that he is, uh, he says, yeah, it's probably not easy to clean a two-story house, is it? Well, I never said that. And then I'm going on the way home. I said, Dad, I said, now that doctor is a multimillionaire. Uh, her husband is also an engineer. Do you think she cleans her house? I mean, really, right? And, you know, uh, again, she didn't have to. Now, I don't know for sure, but she probably doesn't. But here's what I want you to realize. Isn't it true that a lot of us think we're too good to lower ourselves to do certain things? Isn't it right? We want to hold on to our so, so-called status or whatever it might be. But Paul says, Jesus didn't see something there that he had to hold on to. Now, again, we're, we're, we're kind of sharing some illustrations here. So, Christ is saying, look, this divinity of mine, this expression of my divinity, I, I don't, it's not something I have to hold on to regardless of what it costs me. I'm willing to lay some things aside. Now, verse 7 says, he made himself of no reputation. And again, that's the picture up there with nothing in it. Uh, he literally emptied himself. He emptied himself. He forgot about his self-interest. He forgot about uh, his rights that he deserved as God. And by the way, does God deserve some things? Yes. Now, I only deserve hell. But God deserves our worship. He deserves a lot of things. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is God. So he de- these are things he deserved as God, those rights. And Paul said that this one who was God 
took on the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. Now, remember Isaiah 53. Isaiah prophesied when the Savior was born, he wouldn't have any special uh, attractiveness. He would look just like any other Jew. What did Jesus? Who did Jesus look like? Just like any other Jew. So again, he just took on the same fashion as other men. But we have to remember, he was still more than a man. He was still God. Now remember, we're talking about here in Philippians chapter 2, that Christ made himself nothing. He emptied himself. Now, theologians uh, call this the kenosis of Christ. It's a term that just literally means completely self-emptying. Now, let me make sure we understand. Christ did not stop being God. Do you understand that? He has always been God, and He will always be God. The bottom line is this. Both His humanity and His deity were needed in order to accomplish His mission here on earth, to die for the sins of mankind. Now, the idea is this, and as you take the entire context of these verses, the idea here is that Jesus Christ temporarily laid aside his rights as God. Let me give you one illustration in my mind. You remember when they arrested Jesus Christ? When they spit in his face? Whose face were they spitting in? Ah, the face of God. Do you think God would ever allow that? Not normally. But Jesus laid aside his rights. Is God. Laid them aside for you and I. He emptied himself by taking on that which one time he was not. He took on flesh and blood. In fact, the Bible says, Paul tells us, that he lowered himself, he counted himself as nothing. He rejected any and all self-centered considerations. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to do what? To serve. I came to serve. Now think about that. The God of the universe in the incarnation became flesh, lived among us, and he didn't come to be served. But he came to serve. This past week we got the news that the Queen of England died over 70 years. Did you know she was a Christian, by the way, a devout, a devout Christian? And in fact, that Haven Today, I had someone, a biographer, uh, that wrote about her on his program this week. A devout Christian. But could you imagine the Queen of England coming to your house, my house, a group of believers would gather together like we were here this morning, and the queen would say, how about let me wash your feet? Do you think she would do that? She probably would have because she, she was a devout Christian. But we don't expect that from, the, from uh, royalty. But God became flesh, and he humbled himself.
find it kind of interesting in verse 8, uh, Paul talks about uh, he took the fashion of a man. And that particular uh, structure there uh, speaks about an outer appearance that may be temporary. That may be temporary. Now remember, his nature as God is eternal. He hasn't always been flesh. And the temporary fashion of his human form revealed the fact, Paul says, he became obedient. And how far did Christ go in that obedience, according to Paul? Ah, even to death. What's that mean, Wayne? Yeah, he, he died. Now remember, who did he die for? Us, not himself. In fact, I think you know the answer to this. Could they have killed Christ without him letting him do it? No. So he willingly lowered himself, Paul says, even allowing them to take his life, not for his own benefit, but for our benefit. What a supreme example of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul said, that's what Christ did. He didn't hold on to his divinity, his rights. Now he still came, he still became God, he was still God. I don't mean that. He was God all this time. But he laid down some of his rights when he became flesh. That's what he did, even to the death of the cross. But in verse 9, Paul says, now let me tell you what God did. Because Christ humbled himself all the way down. And by the way, do you remember what the Bible said in the Old Testament about someone who's hung on the cross on the tree? They're cursed. Christ became a curse for us. That's how low he went. So in light light of the fact that he went that low, verse 9 says what God did. God exalted him. How high? As high as could be. He exalted him. This is a cause and effect relationship between the humbling Christ and his, his exaltation by God the Father. And so Paul said, because of what Christ did, God gave Jesus a name that's above what? Every other name. Every other name. Now, please understand, I find it kind of interesting, those who question the uh, reality of God's Word, first of all, Man could not write a story like this on his own. There's no way. But Isaiah, some 700 years before Christ came to this earth, Isaiah spoke of a time that one day, one day, every knee was going to bow. And that's what Paul says here. But not only is every knee going to bow, they're going to confess. Confess what? That's right, that he is Lord of all. They will acknowledge him as the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ humbled himself. God the Father exalted Christ, gave him a name above all names. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So what's going to happen one of these days? Just what God says. Just what God says. And all of this brings glory to the Father, 
because of his amazing work of salvation through what Jesus Christ did here on this earth. I'll just apply it. We need to bring glory to God, and we do that, one way we do that, is by imitating his humble heart, his mind, and his actions. Uh, quick question in the way of discussion. Uh, what? How, how did Jesus demonstrate his humility? How did he do that? How did he do that? He did. Yes, yes, he did. Praise God for that. Uh, I needed a Savior. Did you? What did Jesus provide? A Savior. He put my needs ahead of his. (laughs) So amazing. He became a man, humbled himself, and died on the cross. So as believers, we're to think and act humbly, follow the example of Christ. Number two, we're to live out what God is working in us. Uh, verses 12 through 18. Somebody read that, please. Thank you, Alan. Alan, go back if you would to verse 12. Read that first word again. What does that tell us? Because of what you just learned. Because Jesus Christ humbled himself, emptied himself, became obedient even to the death of the cross, and because God has exalted him. Now, by the way, you know this already, but let me reemphasize this. What if Jesus did not come out of that grave? What did you say, Lavender? Nothing at all, right? But he did. God exalted him. And God raised him up, exalted him, if you will. In light of what Christ and God has done, Paul says to the church at Philippi, to us, we need to work out our own salvation with the understanding that we are inadequate on our own and understand how serious it is that we represent Christ in this wicked world. Now, work out your salvation. Does that mean to work to earn your salvation? No. We can't earn it. We simply cannot earn our salvation. And, And Paul is saying, look, what I want you to do I know what Christ has done for you. I know what God has done for Christ. And in light, and, and by the way, what God did was for us, all right, and allowing his son to die. So Paul says, in light of that, I want you to work out your salvation 
Bring it to completion. Now, you're as saved as you're going to be when you get saved. But Paul said, what I want you to understand, you need to work it out. You need to put it into practice in the way you live your life. Put it, let people see how you live has changed because of what Christ did for us by humbling himself and dying for our sins. Let put into practice in our daily actions what the Spirit of God was working in our lives. Now, I, I hope you're, uh, and I'm sure that you are, but I think it's so interesting, the longer we walk with Christ, the more we read His Word, the more we meditate, we really begin to appreciate more and more what Jesus has done for us. Things that we can never do on our own. And Paul says, let that show in your actions. It reminds us, now here's what we need to understand, God is working in us to will, to give us a power to live lives that are pleasing to Him. Now remember, have you noticed we live in a sinful world? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed there are more of them than there are of us? Have you noticed it's a perverse generation we live in? It's a sinful generation. And Paul said, we need to live in such a way that when people see our lives, how we live reflects who we are in Jesus Christ. That we identify to the march of a different drummer. Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives. Paul said, live out your salvation. This is what God has done for you. You couldn't do it for yourself, but the Spirit of God is working in you that you can live it out daily in your lives. Folks, do you realize we're children of God? And Paul says, since we are, we need to live like children of God. We need to model our lives the way God wants us to live. Because the bottom line is this. I want you to realize and remind us this morning that living for Christ is different than living for the world. Living for Christ makes a difference in our lives. The way we talk, the way we think, our attitude, our, our mindset is all changed when we live for Jesus Christ. And Paul says, look, uh, you, you show your wor- the world you're different. Why? Because we're holding on to God's Word. We're proving that our faith is genuine. And I'll be touching a little bit on that subject this morning in my message. But the bottom line is this. Uh, Paul says, now here's what you need to do. First of all, one way to live this out is stop murmuring and complaining. Amen? Who ought to be the most grateful people on earth? God's people. Now, two different words in the English, two different words in the Greek. And uh, by definition, uh, murmuring is talking about a person complaining in themselves. How do you usually murmur? Okay, under your breath, right? Complaining to yourself, within yourself, or even to God, that could be murmuring. And disputing is more likely toward uh, other people in the church. So Paul says, if you're going to live it out, stop doing those things, okay? Now, by the way, I can only assume if Paul tells him to stop, but why does he, why do you have to tell him that? Say it again. They must have been doing it. Paul got word of that. Now remember, uh, Paul had sent Timothy there and Paul, and Timothy brought back a report. So Paul knew exactly what was going on there at the church at Ephesus. That's also in, we're told in verse 15 again, we do live in a, in a crooked generation. It's reversed. Again, Moses talked about the same thing in Deuteronomy when he talked about the, when he sang the song of Moses, talking about the people of his day. So that hasn't changed either. But the bottom line is this. We need to live our lives in such a way 
that we live above criticism. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. Sure we will. But we need to own those mistakes, ask God, and even sins, ask God for forgiveness, and if we need to apologize, but the bottom line is our lives ought to be above reproach. How much time I got left, Jason? Okay, we can do it, all right? Then Paul says, not only do you need to stop murmuring and complaining and disputing, Paul says, be blameless. Idea here would be the same word that uh, made a, a, a sacrificial animal acceptable in the eyes of God. Uh, when we live in the way that Paul talks about here, Paul says, you will shine like a light in a dark world. All because of what Christ did for us and what God did for Christ. In verse 16, uh, Paul said, we need to hold forth uh, the word uh, of light. Uh, that's the word of God. And there's two different ways to interpret that. It means to hold it forth to show it or to hold it to our lives and learn it. Uh, most theologians believe it's the last part of that, but it doesn't matter. Both of them work. God's word needs to be central in our lives. It's not just a book to lay on the shelf and admire. It must be, we must take it and hide it in our hearts. Now, it's also interesting. I couldn't help but catch it again. Alan, you read it in verse 17 and 18. Paul mentioned the joy that he has. So where's he at when he wrote this? He's in prison, and he's still got joy. And Paul talks about being poured out as a drink offering. Now, in the Old Testament, you poured a drink, you, you poured that whole thing out. And Paul said, if my life is poured out in a drink offering, I don't care. Paul, Paul, Paul said, I can rejoice. Why? Because of what Christ has done for me. How many are glad you're saved this morning? Amen. God has been so, so good to us. All right, Lord willing, next week we're going to be uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. We'll come back to Philippians 2, verse 3 through 8, and back to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. We're going to talk a little bit more about a different mindset. Let's all stand. Father, we're thankful today, God, for your word. Thank you for the Spirit of God who makes that word come alive in our hearts and changes our lives. God, I pray that we will be that light that shines in a dark world, all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and is doing through us through the work of the Holy Spirit. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless each one of you. Thank you for coming.